talking like you belong. Takes more than that, doesn't it? What? To steal from the Empire? What do you need? A uniform, some dirty hands, and an Imperial talking? <laughs> They're so proud of themselves. They don't even care. They're so fat and satisfied. They can't imagine it. Can't imagine what? That someone like me would ever get inside their house, walk their floors, spit in their food, take their gear. You got the money, I got the box. What else is there to talk about? Cassian Ander. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the galaxy and welcome to Star Wars Sessions and or Recap. Yes, my name is Matt Hudson, aka Jabba the Hud, and I am going solo this week. Luke Bly is under the weather, he's feeling a little bit unwell. Bit of me thinks that Andor's been so filthy, it's been so spicy, it's been so dirty, that it's got to him. He, 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 the pressure of Andor has got to him. He's loving it so much. But um, whatever the case, he's not well. He won't be on this episode, but he sends his love and regards to each and every one of you. So I'm going to be driving the desk this week. And let's just get straight into it. You know, let's not beat around any bushes here. Let's get to it. If you have not seen episode 11 of Andor, go check it out because this is going to be a full spoiler review. You heard it, I said it, I'm going to say it again, full spoiler review. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's about 46 minutes if you include the credits, uh, and then come back and see if you agree with what I have to say. So that being said, let's get into it. It's the 16th of November, 2022. The episode is titled Daughter of Ferrix, and it's directed by Benjamin Caron, Caron, Karen, Caron, who uh, directed episode seven, which Luke and myself, we really dug that episode. And it's written by the showrunner himself, the big daddy, Tony Gilroy. Uh, so Benjamin Karen is going to be back again next week to give us the finale. I think Gilroy's writing it as well, but it would make sense anyway. Top level then, as we do. What did I think about this episode? I liked it. I liked it a lot. I think this episode does an awfully similar job to episode five in the Aldani arc where it's moving the pieces into place ready for what's to come next i anticipate next week's finale is going to be big (laughs) i think it's going to be big based on what this episode has set up so nicely i think next week's one's going to have the payoff like episode 10 did like episode 6 did something that gilroy and the gang benjamin caron here do so well is again it seems like there's not a lot going on but there is everything going on especially when you kind of consider what's going to be coming next week on the back of this now that being said i'm not going to come out and say this was my favorite episode of the season but it doesn't need to be do you know what i mean i I say that quite a lot it's not a competition it's not let's one up the last episode because the last episode was so 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 good some could say in fact that it was just so good I wasn't going to let Cassie and Dandor have a week off. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, this is not point scoring. Didn't need to be as good as episode 10. This one is very good in its own way, in its own manner and what it sets up. As I said, this is properly a setup now for that season finale. And it's mental. It's mental to think that we usually only have eight episodes or seven episodes or six, depending on what your show is, uh, of a season. Now, Ando, we've got 12 but it's for me it's, it's felt like it's flown by and I'm not ready to give it up next week 
But alas, we must do. We know that season two is going to be filming in the next few weeks. It's going to start filming probably for a 2024 release. But we don't need to worry about 2024. No, no, no. We're on episode 11 right now. So it kicks off with uh, Cassian and Melshi. They've now escaped to prison. We know they have because they they can swim. We know that somebody else can't swim. Um, who knows what's happening to Kino? There's an awful lot of uh, stuff online about what's happening with him, from Gilroy and Andy Circus especially. Uh, nobody seems to be able to give a concrete answer, but we'll see. Um, but here we've got Cassian and Melshi. Feet bleeding, hands numb, they are climbing. This is a massive, massive um, thematic thread in Cassian's story, just the idea of climbing. It was Cass- it was K2 saying to him, it was Nemec saying to him, somebody said it last week, or they were they had to climb out of the prison. Now, climbing up that hill, not running, they're climbing up that hill. They're climbing to freedom this time, or climbing somewhere, we don't know where they're going. Um, but they're on this the planet, Narkina, we don't really see much of it, other than the fact that it's an ocean planet. But here, we get to see that it's, is that ash on the floor? It looks like it's just full of ash, the trees look scorched. It seems to be that the Empire have been um, playing their dirty games on this planet. They've been ridding it of their natural resources, as we find out when they meet these two local Narkinians who are watching them. And they, they're the ones that catch Cassian and Milshi in these disgusting, gooey-looking webbed traps. They say that the Empire's taken all the water and they've got no love for them. And... These guys turned up. We've been looking for aliens. I'd like to know what Lukey Boy thinks about this, but they've been waiting for these aliens to turn up, um, or at least in the speaking part. And when we do get them, they sound like the trolls from the Hobbit films. <laughs> you know, they sound like that. It's, it's that odd kind of old man sort of mockney accent, which I hate. I was going to say it out there right now. I really don't like it. And the, it was a very kind of... that, that Those two guys are like a fantasy but a sci-fi character, more fantasy than sci-fi. But the, uh, you know, like I appreciated the way that they had this kind of odd um, syntax, odd, odd way of talking, but it's the voice that got me. Um, no, I couldn't have, what, what, what have we got here? Like, just give them subtitles and be done with it, please. Um, similar to that uh, mole-faced fella in Kenobi. But um, no, again, no issue with them seeing new aliens, but got to be up front. Sessions, we do it. We're, we're, we're real couldn't stand these guys voices really didn't like it and i it did put me on edge a little bit considering just how well thought out everything in this season has been something like that stood out like something as small as that stood out was like oh my is that a red flag of course it's not but uh given the quality of everything else that did worry me about this episode that said it was quick it was done they don't care for the empire and as soon as they realized cassie and emoji weren't the baddies they let them go and they took the quad jumper, which we saw first in The Force Awakens, which is what Ray and Finn were running to on Jakku before it got blown up and I had to go and take the garbage. The Millennium Falcon, the garbage will do. Wasn't that an aw- C- come on. Come on. Wasn't that an awesome scene in The Force Awakens? I don't care what people think about the sequel. What a great scene that was in The Force Awakens. Um, we didn't get the Falcon, though. We got the quad jumper here. And Cassian sets course to... Niamos, I think he called it. Niamos, I think he said it was Niamos. Um, Space Ibiza. Keith's going back to pick up his belongings. We know from episode seven that he stashed away his blaster and his credits and the manifesto that Nemec gave to him. He stashed that away on top of a shower or something in um, in that ap- apartment that he'd rented with his uh, lady friend. 
but he's gone back to get it and it is still there. Still there. He gets his blaster, he gets his wonga, and there's a couple in bed. Uh, again, aliens, seeing more. They're having a kip. And Cassian opens the, the this case, touches the manifesto, and you get one or two words from Nemec. So the spirit of Nemec lives on. So now we know that that is a... It's an audio manifesto. I wasn't sure if they'd made that clear before. I still think I think that's going to come in handy. I think we're going to hear some of that, whether it's going to be this season or next. I do think we're going to be diving back into that manifesto. It seems like everything is in this show for a reason. Even the things that we haven't heard much about, like Cassian's sister, it's not just going to go away. I mean, it's not just going to be a case of, oh, first episode, looking for a, the next 23 Nah, don't worry about that. And by the time he gets to Rogue One, he's totally forgotten. No, everything's there for a reason. Um, so just have, hearing that little soundbite of Nemec, it was lovely. It was bittersweet, but we're going to hear more of that. And for the rest of this actual episode itself, I've kind of had to segment everything into um, kind of bite-sized yeah, sections. We've got so we've got Cassian and Melshi got their story, which are, to be fair, we've just said most of it other than the end, which I'll mention later on. Then we've got what happens on Ferrix, what Luthan's up to, what's happening with Mothma, what's happening with Cyril, and then Niamos at the end of the episode as well. So kind of hate, there was so much going on. Like we said up top, might look like there's not much going on. Might, people might think this is boring. People might think it's ponderous. People might think it's um, empty. Don't know what show they're watching. Genuinely don't know what, what show they are watching because this this is excellent stuff. I mean, we could be getting like a general griever show or some rubbish like that, but no, we're getting quality instead. And this is what I've been saying for the whole season is that you don't always need action. You don't always need the lightsabers and the force to actually have a good, compelling story. We get a bit of action in this episode, though, and I think we're going to get some in the next one. But um, talking about the kind of the ferrics, angle of this we know that uh ferrix has been a big part of the show and continue to be so and we kind of open up on ferrix with from the lens of b2 emo so back with b2 and i thought that's a cr- pretty cool uh way of opening it pretty cool idea um stylistic choice For opening up you kind of like seeing and hearing what b2's hearing and we're hearing that marva's apartment has been it's been boxed up now. Stuff's being packed away and we're thinking, okay, we know she's not well. You know, are they, are they, are they just getting their, their eggs in an order here? But, uh, it, it turns out, no, she's gone. The, the daughters of Ferrix are there. They require his assistance. She's gone. She's passed. We knew she wasn't well, but it's kind of, a, as we've said about some of the other deaths in this show, Lieutenant Gorn, um, Burnack in the last episode, everything is very unceremonious. Marvel was such a key point for the first half of this season up to episode seven. And then she's gone, done. Yep. Written out, gone. We don't need to see any more. We don't just see her again. We don't need to see any evidence of this. It's just, this is what it is. This is life in in reality. And uh, I actually thought it was going to be a fake out with first. I know it sounds really stupid, but then I realized, you know, what would be the point? (laughs) Marvel wasn't going to swoop in and just save the day and be the hero. She'd already told Cassian about the tunnel. That goes under the hotel. So that's her being a hero. And, um, I, you know, then when they take her, we take her away through the line streets, you know, people are there paying their respects. And we find out that there is a tradition on Ferrix where 
they've got two days, you know, they, they have two days to do this and have the funeral where the, the ashes of the body are mixed with this local stone dust, they call it, and mortar. Your name's put on it and you become a block of ferrics, which I thought was a superb custom because we already know that this is a tight knit community as it is. We've seen that in the first arc of this season. But to know that once you pass, you literally become part of the surroundings. You become part of the planet, part of the city. I thought it was a really cool touch and a really cool uh, tradition and custom that they follow. Um, and it's, and speaking of traditions, Deirdre is going to let her have a funeral. See, maybe she isn't that bad after all. She's like, yes, let them have their party. Let's get them all boxed in so we can monitor them. Ah, okay. So it never wasn't, yeah, there was never any goodwill there, but it's the first part now it's the first first pawn being moved into getting everybody who needs to be there for us the audience onto ferrix we knew marvel was going to pass i thought it was going to be in the second in the 12th episode sorry it's not it's happened now and there's going to be this funeral they want to draw cassian out they think this is what's what it's going to be the bigger they go the more chance they think they can get him there to uh to have a blend in or to be a part of it in some way shape or form so that that's where we're going in episode 12 again whether we see the actual ceremony we've seen many we've heard many things in this season like um mon's dinner party with sly moore and ours dangle which we never saw we just heard about so we might they might have the ceremony off air off screen and then we'll pick up the aftermath and the remnants in episode 12 but whilst this is all going on whilst the body's being escorted out and the the citizens are paying respects Sinta Kaz is watching and so is the Imperial Officer Korv played by um played by Nuf Alsalem. They are both watching what's going on with a keen interest. And I don't think I don't think Korv is onto Sinta yet, but he does start asking some leading questions like how well did you know the deceased? Uh and we thought, and we know that he's got the area state at twenty four seven. He wants guards all around that perimeter just in case our boy Andor turns up. Um, and then we get what's happening with B2 as well. B2 Emo, he's he's a droid, but he's got feelings. He's got emotion. He is cut up about Marva's death. We know from the flashbacks that he's been with her for many, many, many years since Cassian was a boy. So we're talking at least 20 years, maybe more at least at this point. He doesn't want to leave the house. I thought that was quite sad. He didn't want to leave. He didn't want to be by himself. Um, and Brasso, Cassian's mate, uh, this is the guy played by Joplin Sibtain. He's the one who's saying, look, come on. We've got to get out of here. You know, we've got to move on. And B2's not budging. He's, he just says, look, I'm charging. I'm going to charge all night if I have to. I don't want to leave. It's, it's grief. It's droid, a non-sentient process in their grief. And Brasso understands that. And he's like, okay, I'll stay for one night. I'll stay for one night and then that's that's it. But we know that um they've got two days of which in which to complete this ceremony. So that's one of the days gone already by the time we pick up for the next episode. Hello, this is Ahmed Best. I am Jar Jar Binks in the prequels of Star Wars. And you're listening to Star Wars Sessions, which is probably the UK's best. Star Wars program. Finally on Ferrix, Bix. This is a Spix stand zone here on the sessions. And we speculated what's Bix's story going to be going forward after episode three. And I'm still speculating that now after what we saw of her in this episode. 
we find her uh, traumatized. She's, you know, she's almost catatonic. All she can hear is Dr. Gorst's voice in her head. He's the surgeon who put those headphones of, with the screams of dying children in her ears. And she's taken away and we get a real good look at her face. She looks beaten, bruised, mistreated, malnourished. I say catatonic. It's almost like comatose. Uh, it's not the, not, not how we saw her in the first three episodes when she was a fighter. Whereas now we finally get to see what this Anto Krieger lad looks like. He's shown two bigs as a hollow and he's a big old beefy boy. He's a big boy. I relate to this guy a lot. Um, and it's not what I thought he looked like as well, to be fair. In my head, it looked totally different. In my head, he looked a bit more like General Draven from Rogue One, Cassian Superior. But um, nope, he's a big old beefy boy. But they want to know if, basically, is Krieger Axis? And Bix doesn't say anything. Maybe it's because she can't. Maybe because she literally has to, it takes that much effort to even speak. But... She, but what's the outcome going to be here? Which is the question I've got. You know, she's got, she is going through it for this. You know, she's been tortured for days or however long it's been weeks for this. Um, what's the outcome? You know, is she going to hold any resentment towards Cassian because of this? Don't think so, but it's, you know, putting the cards out. Is she going to go full hero, make a recovery and you know, end up being, you know, avenging, uh, Tim with two M's from the first step for a few episodes who was blasted down. Is she going to sell out Anto Krieger and sell him as Axis rather than Luthen? Either way, that Krieger guy, is, <laughs> that poor guy is getting it from all sides. He cannot, but he cannot get a break from anyone. Everybody wants him gone or everybody wants to sell him down the river. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see what the, what the end game for this particular story is going to be. Um, Again, I I think she will sell Anto Krieger down the line because I think it ties into what's happening with Luthen and Luthen and Saw and Claire and everybody else. But with this season, I wouldn't be surprised if they do throw us a curveball and no, she's been so psychologically tortured that sells out Luthen instead Uh, or even, you know, or Luthen and Andor. I can't see that happening, but with the tone of this show, I think it would be loathed to not kind of think about that but ferrix uh, as i'll mention later on ferrix is going to play a big part in the finale and we get quite a lot of it here we've got one scene in episode 10 and now we spend i don't know i'd probably say uh, a third of the episode maybe maybe slightly more on ferrix in different ways and dis- different capacities with different people uh, in this episode and to move away from ferrix i mentioned all those kind of segmented areas of discussion earlier on there's two which don't have an awful lot of screen time comparatively uh overall but they are going to have big implications the first one is the return of cyril khan he's put down a cereal he ain't cereal khan anymore instead he's a stroppy teenager in bed at home with his mouth um so he's woken up to a to a phone call for him and it's sergeant mosk it's trevor from eastenders our boy's back he's He's having a bit of a rough time. He's working, well, he's working by a smelter. Uh, so he's, he's been, uh, he's obviously lost his job and he's just working, he's working on the line now. He's working, uh, he's working in the factories. But he's heard from a Primor employee, one of his mates who still has his job, that Marva, that Cassian Andor's mother has passed away. He says she's gone, she's passed. And with it, Cassian might be at the funeral on Ferrix, which opens up the, the, the potential that they could finally get him. 
the whole time this is going on, Cyril can barely hear him. You know, he's, he's saying, Look, I can't understand you, but I'm getting bits here and I'm getting bits there. I don't know what it is you're trying to say to me. Let's speak again. But by then it's gone. And um, Edie, Cyril's mouth, she says, oh, the mystery of your former triumphs has been vanquished. I can sleep easy now. <laughs> no wonder Cassian later on goes to steal money from her safe. He steals money from his mum's purse during this episode. He's off to Ferrix. He's taking Mama's credit card and he's going to Ferrix. Um, it was great to see Mosk again because he was one of those characters who I wondered if we're ever going to see him again. Will I ever see you again? Don't need to. But I was always like, I wonder what happened to him. I mean, we know what happens to Cyril, but I wonder what happened to Mosk, a big, brutish lad. Um, but no, he's still got people on the inside. And I wonder if Mosk is going to be heading to Ferrix as well. That would be fun to see Cyril and Mosk back together again after the last time. But this... The way they're using Cyril Khan and how Kyle Soda plays him was, as we've said, is so so well done. He's not he hasn't been in the episode as much recently. He didn't need to be like the Narkina Five arc didn't really call too much for some Cyril Khan in it. But now we've got away from that. Now Cassin's back out and on the run again. Or well, they do well. They didn't know he was in prison, of course. Let's not forget that. But we as an audience do. We as an audience needed to spend that time with Cassian and everybody in the prison. Uh, because that's where he met Melshi and blah, blah, blah. So Cyril's been pushed to the back burner a little bit for story reasons, but now he's back. But when he's, whenever he shows up, he always makes an impact. And that's a lot, that, a lot of that's down to Carl Soller's excellent acting. He's, he's not given short shrift. He's put to the, pushed to the back, but he isn't pushed aside. Like, the scene when he had with Dedra recently, when couldn't quite tell if he was chatting her up or trying to get a job. And even and in this episode, we see him on the phone. We see him on the call to Mosk, and um, we kind of, we see he, you know what's going. We see the cogs turning in his head. The comment from his mother, which pretty much sets him over the edge, and and then when she goes out, he's hiding around the corner and he's stealing money. Now he'll do whatever it takes to get this job done. He's a very compelling character. I wonder. I think he'll survive into episode, uh, sorry, season two. And we're going to get to that point as well at some point. I, I know he did a Deadpool recently, but the Deadpool we're going to th- throw Cyril Khan as well. If he's going to Ferrix, and if we think there's going to be a big old, um, big old blaster party on Ferrix, is Cyril making it out? Now I think he is. I think he's been proven to be an important character. I don't think they're just going to off him. Just like I don't think they're going to kill Dedra at the end of season one. Could be wrong, but I don't think so. But but the, the the setup for season two does make me wonder because, as Gilroy said, they're aiming for this four year, four years in four arcs, three three episodes I assume per arc. Each one covers one year. How much story can they get in for everybody in that? I can I could get how they could further Cassian's story in that to make it about him. The show's called Andor, but then. In these arcs, if you're also cross-cutting to Mothma, to Khan, to Dedra, to Luthen, to to Clea, to Vel, uh, to, to anybody else I've forgotten, Melshi, Kino, hopefully. You know, th- that's a lot to try and squeeze into three episodes when they cover a year. Unless, you know, each kind of, e- each faction has their own episode within the arc. But I don't know how they're going to deal with that. I'm so excited to see how they do it. As if they stick to it as rigidly as three um, arcs per year it may, it may be totally different it could be that the final episode is takes place three two years later and it's the lead up to row one who knows but um i wouldn't be surprised if we see some casualties next week in the, the battle of ferrix but i don't think 
Cyril Khan's going to be one. Um, the the other character who had a smaller role, but as usual, is is powerful, is just as impactful as Mothma. Mon Mothma. She is. We're in her abode. We're in her uh, penthouse in Coruscant. It's always so good to see Coruscant again. And there's it's like this odd. It's like a party going on in the in the uh, main chamber. It's like a McDonald's birthday party going on. But you've got the kids. These kids are just chanting this Chandrillan phrase. This um, with this chant, these words, and you're kind of trying to work out what it is. And then you realise that um, later. Mon's daughter, Leda Hosen, really believes in this the Chandrillan tradition of marriage at a young age. You know, it's it's kind of gone. It's like it mirrors real life in some way, where these the younger generations push rebel against. I rebel against their the generation that came before to leap to kind of back leapfrog them and you know do what their elders did. It's very very uh, cool moment in the episode where. Because, only because of what's coming on. And by cool, I don't mean good. I just mean in the writing of what is where we are leading with with this. But um, she's, but yeah, but it would seem that later is into these Chandrillan traditions, which playing off the back of last week. Oh boy! But Vel Vel turns up, and we finally now see that Mon has got a confidant. She's got somebody to confide in, and she tells her, "Look, I'm in so much trouble. Just, just not be around a bush here. I'm screwed." Last year, I was splurging a hundred thousand credits a month. We had this stream of accounts set up, you know, the bottom would fall out. Money, everything was fine. And then Imperial inspectors came out and said, Oh, we're going to be taking a look at these Chandrillan accounts very, very closely. Um, so Mon moved everything apart from one empty ledger was off balance. One little thing went wrong or wasn't one, one T wasn't crossed or. I wasn't dotted and that would have been enough for the Imperials to throw her in the slammer. And that's where Takoma comes in. But here we get revelation number one of this very powerful short, what, four minute scene, maybe Aldani caused a huge issue. Now Vale is one of the heroes of Aldani. Mon doesn't know that Aldani caused a massive issue. Everything was thro- frozen after that. And we see Vale kind of have to sort of, awkwardly look away at this moment the rebel activity is is causing as much damage to the rebellion as it is the empire in some ways you know without aldani the you know time would have mothma would have had time the luxury of time to get this done without the pressure of the imperial breathing down her neck but not anymore not any war luthan isn't fully aware of what's going on but she says he warned her about all of this and then she says, who knows what he knows, but none of this can be exposed. We, this cannot go out. Um, and then we find out Mon has found a solution and the pain, the emotion, the stress, the strain in her eyes and her face. We know what the solution is, or we think we know what it is based on last week, especially when Leda greets Vel so warmly but she the look she gives mon is so cold mon's breaking up at this moment she's struggling to keep it together you know everything everything is capitulating and folding in on itself and all the while her daughter seemingly hates her and mon's gonna have to give up her entire family for the rebellion that's what we think 
Leda wants to be a child bride by the time that she wants to follow the traditions of Trangelo at least. But, you know, how is that going to help Mon at all? I, you know, sh- I don't necessarily think it's the fact that she, it's the life that she wants to choose. I think it's more who with. Maybe Leda won't fancy little, little scolding, or maybe Perrin is going to put an end to it. That's the one I don't think is going to happen, but maybe that will be the, the face turn of Perrin. He's going to be the one saying, no. That's not good enough for my kid. No, but I want, you know, this is not what I'd had in my head. I want better. Uh, but even then, it's not going to shine a good light on on Mothma. So I think what they're doing with this character is so, so interesting. You know, a character we didn't know much about up until recently. We had uh, Return of the Jedi. We had this mysterious air about Mon Mothma. A little bit in the prequels. More, well, the deleted scenes. Now called Rogue One. And now this, we're getting so much more. We're now peeling back the layers and seeing just what it took. We're talking about sacrifice with Luthan last week. Mon looks like she's going to have to sacrifice everything. You know, her husband probably isn't too profit by that, but her daughter, who, you know, as a parent, you only want the best for your kid. You can't necessarily dictate the direction of their future, but you can at least hope for the best at the bare minimum. And you know Mon doesn't want her daughter regardless of what her daughter thinks of her mother, doesn't want her daughter having anything but the best life that she can do. And she wants to be able to help give her that. Marrying her off to Davo Scolden and being a, you know, being in a gangster's family. Oh man. This, I said last week, this is not a story that I thought we'd get in a Star War. It is now. And my God, is it powerful? Honestly, the idea of having to sell off, well, no, you're not selling, that's the wrong way. Pawning off your daughter into a, an arranged marriage to you know to a, a a gangster family but it's not even less reputable it's a family of gangsters it's a family of ne'er-do-wells this uh, in order to fund your secret activity to bring down the dictatorship the lengths that have having to be taken are now being shown in full i think it's testament to the writers that they're willing to go down that path but also testament to Genevieve O'Reilly of how well she is playing this character. I saw somebody online this week saying that uh, Andy Serkis and Stellan Skarsgård quite rightly getting plaudits left, right, centre. But let's not forget about Genevieve O'Reilly. And we've been banging the drum for Genevieve on this show. But this week especially, the little that she has to do, she does it in such a big way. There's a power in her performance. There's nuance there. You know, there are layers. There is depth to this where is it going to end up by the sounds of it you know the Trandrillan tradition will be that's the tough for somebody who's very struggles to say as ours sometimes the Trandrillan tradition uh, looks like it may be followed so that's another plot point for next week you've got to assume you've got to assume that we're going to find out a little bit more about uh, we're going to find out more sorry about what's happening we're going to see Davo's going to come back alongside Ferrix are we going to now see the meeting of Little Scolden and later Mothma. What's going to co- become of that? At one point during this, I did actually think that Vel was going to bail Mon out or some of that sweet, sweet Al Dani Dosh, you know, the spoils of their plunder. The way Vel was looking, she's like, How much is it? And she's like, It's 400,000 credits. And Vel, I was waiting for it to kind of say, You know, give us, give us his sort code and account number. I'll, I'll wire it to you. I still think that may happen. I think Vel may 
get wind of what's going on. But then will she? Because she's going to ferry. It's, oh my God, this is the beauty of it. I've got no idea where this is going. Unless Phil just does it, just says, look, here's 400k. Therefore, this doesn't need to happen. But then Davo Skolden knows what's going on with Mothma, or at least knows that her accounts aren't how they should be in a position they need to be as a senator. Depth, players, this is fantastic. Now, I said last week, I don't think they're going to go ahead with the, trad- the tradition, but it looks like they are. That's Mons kind of resigned herself to it, unless Fell comes to the rescue. And Vell is proving herself to be a very uh, important character in this uh, entire se- season. Uh, now, not just as a rebellion freedom fighter, she's also the cousin of uh, Mothma, and therefore has to navigate different classes, different situations, different secrets and different lies as well. And um, the way she is with Mon, especially Leda, she has that great relationship with Leda. She's not going to want to see Leda married off to a thug's family as, as much as Mon doesn't. Mon, however, is resigned to the fact that this needs to happen. Vil can potentially bail her out for want of a better term for a pun bail or garner her out whether that happens wow i don't know but it's exciting to think about how that how that's going to go down so i think we're going to see davos golden and the meeting next week in amongst everything that's going on on ferrix The best podcast you've ever heard Star Wars Sessions on the mic is quite absurd Got a Patreon now with lots of tears From $2 a month is all it is Best podcast Hello there Best podcast Best podcast Roger, roger Podcast. That's right, people. From as little as two dollars a month for less than a cup of coffee at a coffee shop, you can listen to amazing content, extra shows from both Matt and I, and a cheeky podcasts. Honestly, this is the deal of the century. Nice, spicy, tidy. Patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. It's the best podcast you've ever heard. Star Wars Sessions on the mic is quite absurd. Got a Patreon now. We're lots of tears. From $2 a month is all it is. Best podcast. Best podcast. Best podcast. Podcast. Speaking of Vel, she also plays into Luthen's part of the story in a small way, but she's she meets up with Claire, um, Luthen's assistant at the gallery, and they have a little tete a tete. You know, Claire's like, you look, you shouldn't be here. Luthen wouldn't approve. Like, Luthen would be furious if he found you here if you're meddling with these well laid plans. And Vel's not having any of it. She's like, listen, mate, what have you done recently? You know, what's your game been all about? And Claire's like, look, recently doesn't mean anything to me. Always is my thing. I am always here. I am always in the firing line. I am in the front line right here. Do not underestimate me. Also, Vil, I'm the one who put out the hit on Andal. She doesn't say that, but we know that as well. Um, I also got a bit of tension between those two, as if there's more of a, there's a pass between them. 
whether it's romantic or I don't know, but I got the feeling that there was a connection, that there was a there was it was history between those two. Um but I thought that was a cool scene, but she's look like what what would you want? What do you want? Vel mentions Marva to Claire. So again, the, the Marva's passing is the inciting incident for everything. Like like we thought, I think like everyone thought it was gonna be. Um she's like, look, Andor's mother's passed away. There's a chance he might be on Ferrix. You know, let's go and blow his head off, basically. And Claire said, all right, I'll tell him. I tell Luthan, I tell him who told me as well. You know, be on your way. And Luthan, you know, Luthan, I mean, come on, come on. Luthan is so cool. <laughs> Luthan is the coolest cat in the galaxy at the minute. And part of that is because Stellan Skarsgård is also the coolest cat in the world. He's a, and he's a powerhouse, I could call him. But he's... um. The way he plays this character, I love seeing Luthan. And we get possibly the best scene in the episode. It's when he goes back to Segra Milo to meet Saw. Saw! Guerrera! Luthan! Rail! Strip search! Uh, he doesn't strip search him. But he gets searched, but, you know, Luthan's not, he's not taking any crap here. He's like, Look, you're going to give me that or you're going to get lost. I think that's the knife Luthan has in his cane i think people speculated it was a lightsaber i think the black series toy gave it away that it was actually a knife or a dagger of some sort but now we're talking finding out about out anto krieger again a name that's popping up anto krieger the separatist the seppi that saw guerrero has no love for he did not want to help him whatsoever in episode seven i ain't helping that punk out you know i'm the only one i'm the one with clarity of purpose and vision here i know i know i'm the only one who knows what i'm doing sources but here we find out that Saw actually wants to help Krieger at Spellhouse. You know, I'll bring air power, but I'm not taking elders. We're not taking orders. We're going to come in like a wrecking ball. We do what we want, but we're not going to be governed by anyone. And then then we get the, the point here where Luthen says, nope, you can't do it. You cannot go to help Krieger and his 30 men at Spellhouse. Why? Because the ISB are going to be waiting for him and we need to think that they are invincible. If they take out Krieger, they're going to think, you know, we're the, we're the big I am here. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's going to stop us. And we've just taken a big pawn off the board. But Saw doesn't see it like that. He's like, well, you must either your ISB or you've got somebody in the inside that you're protecting. And you get this, you know what I always say, two people, give them an environment, let them act. Two great actors, let them act. Give them good dialogue, let them act. And they're tete-a-tete. We're seeing this paranoia seeping out of every pore of Saw Guerrera. Um so Saul wants to help. He's like, you're gonna let you're gonna let these men burn. And she's like, how do you know I'm not gonna tell him, sources? How do you how do you know I'm not gonna tell Anto? And Luther's like, I don't. I don't know what you're going to do. And I love that again, a little extra little facet there for Saw Guerrera. Everybody knows he's a wild card and even Luther's like, he knows he's a maverick. I don't know what you're gonna do, but this isn't ideal for either of us and he calls him a random factor he says you're the random factor here and they're back and forward it's just excellent you know it's just really good acting really good dialogue especially in the moments where saw says you know more than once it's 30 men you know you're going to just let 30 men throw them to the slaughter it's 30 men every time luthan says plus krieger you know, there's there's a ruthlessness, there's a cold heartedness to that. It's thirty men plus Krieger. Don't forget that. You know, it's thirty one men. 
there you know, th- this is Luthan coming we know what Luthan is like now he knows what must be done he knows the decisions that have to be made the the alliances that need to be forged and that need to be lost along the way the blood will be on his hands we know that he knows that he has to you know there is no he knows this isn't there is no other way so why be um you know so why dwell on it why ruminate on this it's 30 men plus krieger he knows he's doomed um and he and he, he holds saw at gunpoint he says <laughs> it's quite a fun moment it's not funny but when saw says hey you have spies in in here and Luthan's like, oh yeah, it's Tubes over there. So two Tubes, he's a spy. I'm the spy. And uh, Tubes is like, it's not me, don't listen to him. But it's all a ruse so we can get Tubes' gun, hold Saw at gunpoint, and, ha- and so he can listen. So he can listen um, and let him know. It's the only way he's going to let him know the plan. They've got, again, they've got to let the ISP think that they're invincible. For the greater good. Golly, what you will. Let's call it war. Great. I know again, trailer dialogue, but it felt so, 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 so good in this episode. Um, sorry, it just felt so good. Wasn't going to let Dandor have a week off. Lukey boy might be ill, but Dandor is back in the seat here. Um, but yeah, but they're back and forward. I loved it. And he's, and at the end, he's almost saying like, saw, you know, call it what you want. You know, I just need you on board. If you want to call it war, if that's what's going to take to get you on board. Yeah, fine. Let's call it war, mate. But you can't go and help Anto Krieger. You know, he's, his time is up, we assume. The ISB are going to get him. They're going to, they're going to revel in their victory, not knowing that it was all part of our plan. We cannot intervene with this. Another piece of the chessboard has now been moved. Are we going to see Anto Krieger? Are we going to see the attack on Spillhouse next week? Or at least hear about it or the, or deal with the aftermath of this um attack i think so because i do think something's going to happen in that attack whether it whether it goes to plan for the isb or something happens and krieger isn't killed which then makes the isb suspicious something's wrong here this is the beauty of the, the, the screenwriting of this show is that i don't know how straightforward things are going to be are are going to be sorry things are unceremoniously done which i've said which i love i.e. Marva's passing in this episode but you know not everything this is a thriller this is a conspiratorial thriller it's a political thriller you know not everything is going to go to plan and that's the beauty of it it did last week in the prison apart from with Kino but the plan in itself went to plan it went well the Krieger we've heard so much about this guy how's that going to play out I'm so excited uh, about that as well um and uh, yeah, Luthan, we're getting, we're just seeing, you know, what a BA he is. You know, he's, he's a bad dude when it comes to getting the job done it, by any means necessary. Last week, Lonnie, you ain't leaving, mate. We're here with Saw. 30 men plus Krieger are going to die. But that's just what it takes in order for us to get a few steps towards our goal. And Saw even says, you know, what if it was me? What if it was me in Krieger's place? I mean, talk about ramping up his paranoia. But Luthan says, you know, you know too much. You know, you know who I am. You've seen me. You know, you know my game. Krieger's never seen me before. He, I've been in a room with him, but he didn't know he was in a room with me. I love that. Again, it's that espionage side of it where Saw, you know, that's a good answer maybe for Saw, but at the same time, Saw now knows the length that Luthan will go. But also if Saw's captured and rats out Luthan, the game is up. The game is afoot. You know, that's it. Game over. 
yeah, it's just, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. It's just come on. I mean, it, uh, how they're doing this is a huge testament, and I just wish that we had 16 episodes per season, just so we could have an episode with just these guys, just these guys talking about their ideologies, or, or show the Spellhouse raid. You know, I'd love to see more, more. You know, I'm grateful that we get 12 episodes of this huge sprawling uh, show, and we watched um, the Mandalorian this week, and were reminded of its magic and of how incredible that show is but i will say the episode i watched you know compared to an episode of andor it did feel a little bit smaller because of the volume you could sort of tell the constraints were there but then any criticism because that episode was one of the best episodes of star wars that i've seen that mandalorian episode you'll hear more about that soon but um yeah this is it's, it's a huge testament to where they're going with this i'd love to see more of it i genuinely love to see more in a season i know we're getting a second season but we'll be moving away from certain plot points and characters in this season i think i'd love to spend just a little bit more time to find out you know about spellhouse about krieger about saw about his relationship with luthan about how far they go back maybe we will but i don't think we're going to see it fully in the next in the next episode um but we're not done with luthan we're not done yet luthan you know he's leaving segra milo and is some imperial called elk <laughs> elk calls him out on the fondor Look, look, you know, we've got, we've got to scan your transponder. There's been pirate activity out here. And in inside this kind of whack-looking, just, just funky-looking destroyer, we get the classic, like, bridge angles, you know, from in, you know, from behind, looking at the looking at the viewpoint from in front as they look out. You get that kind of, the, the it's not quite a Dutch angle, but the shot looking from the lower levels of the bridge up to the, um, up to the commanding officer. Classic Star Wars camera angles bridge angles and that was a that was you know i love it when they when they do that when they drop those bad boys in because you want to talk about feeling star wars sometimes it doesn't have to be a character or you know a faction or a weapon it can just be the way that the camera is, is utilized and that was one of them um but yeah but he says you know, you know stand by mate we are going to uh hold you in a tractor beam so you can't uh go off uh, you know, Luthor's not having that. We know that the, Fon- the Fondor is tricked out. Vin Diesel, oh, oh, Dom Toretto, would love one of these bad boys. It is tricked out to the nines. Um, and he knows exactly what to do to get out of this. He, he feigns that he's got um, a bit of engine issue. They, they look, he's got a, he's got a power down. He's, he's uh, got an engine issue. You know, I'm a one-man show, he says. You know what? You really are a one-man show, mate. He pushes off and shoots tons of these explosives from the back of his ship this is such a cool installation uh, and from his back of his ship and it destroys the tractor beam it destroys this massive satellite dish on the front of this ship uh, we can argue about the logic and intelligence of having a tractor beam that big and that visible on the front of your ship but um maybe it goes to show the evolution of the empire in later episodes and later films that they don't have such stupid um devices contraptions built onto the front of their ships like that either way it was so cool to see and the graphics uh, the visuals of that looked amazing it looked like a miniature being blown up at that point um and then the tie fighters move in here we go the ties are out there screaming through space luthan he don't care is he bothered not one bit he takes two of them out as if they're not there and then we get the scene from the trailer 
we get the uh we get the plasma beams coming out of the side of his <laughs> his ship as he spins around and just just absolutely just destroys these two tie fighters i've seen people call them like lightsabers that like, they ain't lightsabers it's just kind of beams of plasma coming out the side but it looks like um it looks like an, a an inquisitor's lightsaber if you want to go down that route but um I love how these ties came to intercept and he was just having none of it. He toasts these two of those awesome beams immediately makes a jump to lot to hyperspace. This ain't an order on trade Alliance ship at all. This is big boy. This is Luthan rail. He's off and elk on the ship. The Imperials just speechless. What have I just witnessed? Some old geezer has just bodied <laughs> bodied my air, our air, air force here. My, you know, my air squad, I app space squad. I thought that was so cool. And again, it's quick. You know, like most of the actions done quickly. They don't dwell on it. It's not a huge dog fight that goes on for five minutes. And it's, it, you know, in other shows or see, it's not shows or in other episodes of another show, you know, maybe that would be a set piece or an, an opening or a closing set piece here. It's just matter of fact, as this is what happens, bish, bash, bosh, love a bit of nosh. I'm off. Um, I do wish that the, the laser wings are the plasma, bolts had been kept out of the trailer so because i think the reaction to that moment would have been even bigger had we not known it was coming but again given the type of show i get that they've got to market get that in the marketing to get more people in we've seen the engagement numbers and whatnot now but um i do wish that had been kept out of the trailer because i think that is such a genius bit of tech and what a great bit of a great conceptual idea for a ship you know we've never seen it before i love it also got me thinking, oh man, I hope if, I hope if Luthen goes down, he goes down in his ship because I don't want anybody else flying that. That is a beautiful ship. Um, and what else, what else has it got going on? It's got plasma bolts that shoot out the side of it. It's got those, um, hull destroying bombs at the back, which were dragged in by the tractor beam. What else has this thing got? Uh, yeah, hopefully we see more of the Fondor in the next, um, episode and season. But that was a really cool set piece. I thought it looked great as well. I did. You know, we, we're talking about everything shot on location and shot practically. Well, you ain't going to shoot a, a space dogfight. Got to do it um, on on the old computers. And I think that actually looked really, really good. I think it looked great. It was framed great. Um, the, the the editing on it was really good. And, and like I mentioned earlier on, when the tractor beam was taken down, that looked really impressive. Did think that looked really, really good. Um so Luthen just continues to go above and beyond in this season. In this season, after the last episode, we now see that he's t- he doesn't take any crap from Saw Guerrera. He knows what needs to be done, and he even manages to talk down Saw during it. Plus, he's a dab hand at flying. He's got all of these tricks up his sleeve. I mean, I cannot wait to find out more about Luthen and where his story is going to go. He knows he's not going to see that sunrise. You know, how's it, what's his journey going to be into getting to those final moments? You know, they're really, really setting up Luthen as a huge part of, of the story now. And it, it, it scenes like this and one I'm going to talk about next, which really do enhance the rest of the, the IP, the story. You know, when you now see, cause I, I know I was looking at, I saw the, you know, I, I've seen when the trailer dropped when we saw those, uh, the plasma wings the plasma blades coming out of luthan's ship people said oh it looks like you know darth maul's lightsaber or something that his scimitar ship would have and it just got me thinking during that scene i was like it makes people like darth maul 
or, or anyone like Luke Skywalker, Vader, Palps, you know, any Ray, anyone with latent force power, big old force powers, sorry, makes them, you know, special a hundredfold. We've said this many times on the show, and I know you guys have also got your thoughts on it, but it makes what they do, it makes them even more special because, you know, look at what, can you imagine like Luthan and Saw, their story, if someone like, well, Darth Maul or, or Darth Vader walked in on that scene just to almost make them realize how small they are comparatively in terms of strength when it comes to the force and uh, whatever, but, but their strength lies in other areas. You know, their strength lies in their mind and in their intelligence, in their uh, ability to plan and craft uneasy alliances, but it does make the force users even more like, powerful now with what they do. Cause we're seeing not you know this is what this is what people on the street the feet on the street have got to do to survive to fight back they can't just pick up a lightsaber they can't just force choke dead Ramiro and it'll be done i think this show's done a really good job of actually um actually enhancing what we already know about the force hi this is roger christian the academy award-winning set decorator on the first star wars and you're listening to star wars sessions probably britain's greatest star wars podcast um the final part though was yeah we go back to Niamos. i've mentioned before that uh cassian got his stuff back he got his um blaster he got his um credits probably got his uh clothes and clean underwear back as well we certainly hope so but we go back to Niamos. We thought we'd go back at some point, and uh, we get a little. We get a little establishing shot. We see some bluebirds by the beach chairs. They look cool. Um, you probably heard the birds outside my window. That's the only problem of doing the recap early is you hear the birds outside. So I do apologise if you can hear them. But this is where it hits hard now. Cassian calls his mate Zam One, the freighter fellow from Episode Three. And he wants him to get a message to Marva. Of course, Cassian's got no idea what's going on. He's been in prison. He said, and, and he's like, don't use my name. Don't say my name because recorded, you know, tra- tra- it's going to be traced. Tell Marva I'm safe. Tell him I'm well. Tell her I'm well. And tell her that she will be proud of me. We know what's happening. And Zamwan knows what's happening. He's trying to get the words across. And in the end, he has to say, look, Cassian, wait, mate. Wait. Marva's dead. And that's it. That's it. You know, that's, you know, the silence speaks louder than any wailing, than any kind of what? Any, you know, what, what did you say? What, to, to how? Silence. Diego, this is Diego Luna's turn now to, to act, you know, to, to pile on this emotion. And his facial acting is superb. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you know, the way he carries himself, having heard this information. Just the silence is louder than you know, than anything they could have written. And it's not until he sees Melshi. I mean, Melshi looks like he's been living the dream. He's got his three-quarter length shorts on and he's got his, uh, he look, he's got his almost like galactic Hawaiian shirt on. He's loving it. Um, I'm assuming Andor gave him the credits for that. You know, you go, mate, go, go and deck yourself out. Or is that what you've bought? Um, but in that moment, you know, he, he has to tell Melshi everything's fine. Everything's okay. They're looking out across the ocean, across the sunset. Everything's fine. We know it's not. But Melshi's like all this space, you know, it's like a dream, you know, you know, this freedom is like a dream. 
how many made it out alive from Narkina 5, the prison? And what if we're the only ones? And he says, look, we've got to split up. We've got to double our chances. We've got to split up. One of us has to make it and let people know what's going on over there. Andor gets it. You know, in this moment, that's not his concern. You know, the, you know, the, you know, if Tiff telling the world about Narkina isn't on his mind now. You know, helping others necessarily isn't on his mind now. We know what Cassin's like. Instead, he gives Melshi a blaster and sends him off on his way. We know they're going to meet again. How or when, we'll find out. But it gives us now the time with Diego Luna again. It's just a close shot of his face as he's looking out to the sea with a beam of light coming down from the from the sky, breaking through the clouds, some symbolic stuff there. But, it, you know, we really see the pain that Andor is feeling, Cassian's feeling. He's just spent a month or so, a month and a half, two months in Narkina 5 prison. He's risked it all to get out. This is after the Aldani heist. He's finally got kind of, he's got some freedom and he's got a clarity of purpose now. He's got that vision. But it's all come tumbling down when he realises Margaret is not there. He just wanted her to know she would be proud of what he's done. But she's gone. He has to deal with that now in in the only way he knows how to. And we're going to find out what that is next week. And I thought it was a really, really poignant way to end off. Nicholas Brightel's score here is understated. Very beautiful. Understated. Doesn't take over the scene. Um, it does what a good score should do and it complements what's happening on screen. It's a, it's a really nice moment for this. Uh, nice isn't the word. It's a beautiful moment. I mean, it is a nice moment that we, you know, we've got the sunset, we've got the the clouds breaking, the sun coming down and Cassian knows what needs to be done. And he knows within himself that Marvel would be proud of him, but, and the music and everything, but obviously the moment itself is extremely sad. It's tinged with more than just a hint of sadness. Cannot wait to see where all of this goes next week. And, you know, all loads, all roads now, lead to Ferrix. This is a classic calm before the storm episode. Benjamin Caron and Tony Gilroy, like I said, they've put the pieces in place ready for the finale. All roads are leading to Ferrix. All hyperspace lanes are leading to Ferrix. Sinter, Corv, Vel, Mosk, hopefully, Cyril, Dedra, Cassian. They're all going to be there. We know that from this episode and also from unseen trailer footage yet. Luther's going to know too via Clea. Luthan's going to know about Cassian's mother. Now, I don't think Luthan put the hit out on Cassian because we've got a brilliant bit of dialogue, a coded dialogue between him and Clea later on in the episode where um, he's saying, you know, I've closed the sale, talking about Saw, but he still wants the other piece. You know, I think of the consequences of losing that piece to another collector. You know, he's talking about Andor here. Uh, we get that beautiful, excellently written, coded scene. He wants Andor, but Clea's put a hit out on him. Great, Vel wants to collect that hit. Sinter's there as well. How many pieces are being put into play for what should be, what hopes to be, what threatens to be, what promises to be an explosive finale? The show hasn't been action heavy, and I don't particularly believe episode 12 will be a battle of the five armies, full on battle, a full on war, full on filth fest. I do think we're going to get more though in, in the finale. You know, will they be at a top episode six for some people, episode 10 for others? I don't know. I hope so. I really do because everything's there now. Everything is there. It, or, everything's going to lead to this place. What's going on with Bix? 
how's she going to play into this? You know, B2's got a part to play. The daughters of Ferrix. This is a time of importance for them. What's their, what are the, what's going to happen with them? Now, Andor knows how to escape. He knows how to go under the hotel. We also know that the hotel on Ferrix is where the ISB is stationed. Deirdre's going to be there. Cyril's going to be there. Cyril's going to be there and Deirdre to collect Cassian. Sinter and Ved are there to kill Cassian. Yeah, so... Wow. You know, this is we've we've got a lot to look forward to in what is so far the best series of any Star Wars we've ever had, in my opinion. But this episode was banging full of emotion. It was hitting boiling point now. We've seen we've seen Mon Mothma, you know, breaking up. Cassian has now been dealt this news on top of everything else about Marva. Luthan as well. Luthan is in the thick of it. He knows he is, but you know, he's got what's happening with Krieger. He's got now got to find out about Cassian. He's out there. He can, you know, he's obtainable potentially again. The, you know, the level and balance of dialogue is off the scale. These are very dialogue heavy episodes. It's a very dialogue heavy season, but it's so well written. You know, you can, I've seen many films which are full of dialogue and exposition, but it's badly written and it's not engaging and you're not in. This is, this is really well written. I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but for me, it's got all of the elements, man. I've, you know, I've said it before. Performances, dialogue, location shooting, or just the, the actual locations themselves, the locales, the music, the emotion, the tension, the drama, the atmosphere. This is a thriller as well, man. This is this is a thriller in every aspect, whether it's conspiratorial, political, mystery, action, whatever. It, it is every type of thriller almost. It's so well handled. Um yeah, I, I thought this was a very strong setup episode. Lots going on, as we've just mentioned. Um, and in, not really many nitpicks with this episode, to be fair. I mean, it's, it's similar to kind of episode five and episode seven, in, in the sense where it's, we know it's set up now. So, we know what's wrong with it? Nothing really. Um, I kind of wished that we'd seen Marvel once more. Because Fiona Shaw is such a wonderful actress, actor that I wish we'd seen her again. It did kind of feel that did feel matter of fact. Where last time we saw was episode seven, we've since heard about her ailments, but but then now she's gone. We're never going to see her again, probably on screen unless she's left a hologram or whatever. But I said she's just gone. You know, I wish we'd seen Marvel one more time. I don't need to see her pass away or anything silly like that, but just to see her again would have been. I think that would have been. Um, for me, I think that would have added just even more weight to the passing, which I think a lot of people would think would be quite sudden. You know, just came, opens the episode, oh, Marvel's dead. What? Hey? Okay. Whew. But we know that, we know, as I've said many times, they're getting things ready now. They're getting this set up ready. This is the inciting incident. We always thought it was going to be, but it is. But we know also that the last time Marvel spoke to Cassian was in episode seven, when she was saying, you know, I've been revitalized. I've been inspired by the heroes of Aldani. So that makes that conversation even weightier now. I did feel Marva going was very sudden, the way they handled it. I did think it was a little bit too matter of fact. You know what I mean? It was just bang, it's done. Okay, move here we go. But um you know, she she she's passed away never knowing potentially that we think, not knowing that Cassian was one of the heroes of Aldani that inspired her. But Cassian knows that she was inspired, so he can take some solace and something from that. So it makes their conversation in episode seven 
just that bit weightier now. Um, man, I can't, I can't wait, guys. I cannot wait for episode 12 of all of these threads that we are going to have partially tied up. You know, what's going to happen with Mon Mothma, her accounts, and her daughter Leda? What's going to happen when Cassian goes back to Ferex? Because we know that Cinta and Vela are after him. We know that Cyril and Dedra are both, you know, unknowingly after him. They don't know one's going, they're both going to be there for different reasons than Vela and Cinta. Luthan wants Cassian. Now we're going to have all of everyone in Ferrix is going to be out for this funeral, this this wake. We've got the the Krieger raid as well. What's going to happen with that? Is this the last we've seen of Saw? We're going to see the Krieger raid on Spellhouse. So we're going to see that and hear, or we're just going to hear the aftermath and see Luthan's reaction. Man, you know, there's a lot to wrap up in the final finale. I've got no doubt that they can do it. But there's a lot that they they've got to wrap up, or at least give some kind of satisfying resolution to. If they don't wrap it up entirely, but I, I'd have no doubt that they're going to be able to do it. Um, I also said off air the other day to Lukey Boy that you know I wonder if Andor season two is going to be where we see Saw Guerrero just get mangled, you know, leading into Rogue One. Here, of course, he's paranoid, but he's you know he's got his faculties, he's got his arms, he's got his legs. He hasn't got his uh, breathing apparatus with him we know in rebels in a couple of years time he still um hasn't so in that lead up to rogue one is are they going to show in live action sword just getting body blown up i think they might do i think this is the place to do it i don't unless in the only other place i can think of is the bad batch but um they'd have to have a massive massive time jump in order to facilitate that so i think that Andor is going to be the place where we where we see it and it's going to make him in like maybe halfway through season two and then it makes his appearance in rogue one all the more uh epic all the more um have more meaning have more power to maybe maybe, we know he's dead so they can't really pull the is he or isn't he dead card but you know if we don't maybe we can see him being carted off the war back for the battlefield and you know not necessarily see what happens to him until we get to rogue one and that's kind of the unofficial reveal of you know, the ramifications of his injuries, even though we already know that, but in a linear fashion, we wouldn't, if we were watching this in order, if we were new order, if we were new to the franchise. So, um, yeah, I liked this episode a lot. I thought it was very, very powerful. I thought it was emotional more than anything else. Great dialogue, great performances. Again, emotional would be my one word, um, review of this episode. So, in terms of a rating, Lukey Boy isn't here to pass over his rating for the episode. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say last week was like a 9.7 out of 10. This one I'm going to give a very good, uh, I'm going to give this one 8 Cassian Ander. Z out of 10. Cassian Ander. Z. Uh, so 8 out of 10 for this episode. There was a lot going on. But I know next week's going to be the big one. I cannot wait for that. Would love to know what you guys thought about episode 11, Daughter of Ferrix. Did you pick up on any uh, negatives that you would perceive as a negative that I didn't? You know, Like I said, Marva's passing was the one thing that kind of hit me. I thought, you know, would have liked maybe to have had a scene with Fiona Shaw. But again, that's just, the show isn't about necessarily doing that. The show is about moving the story forward pushing the story forward and not giving too much pomp and ceremony. I'd have liked to have seen a little bit more with Melshi and Andal. 
uh, given that we know they are um, squad mates in Rogue One, they've got that history. I'd like to see just a, just a, a little bit more before Andor made the call. Just a, just a minute or so of dialogue between them as they're maybe discussing what's next or, or, or kind of like finding out about each other a little bit more. But uh, we didn't get that. Doesn't none of none of those ruin the episode? None of those bring the episode down. It's just little things that I thought, oh, I'd like that. But that said, really enjoyed this episode. Would love to know what you guys thought. You can uh, let us know. You know, hit us up on the old social medias if you want to let us know what you thought about this episode, whether you liked it or whether you didn't like it. So here we go with the end spiel. You can find us at StarWarsSessions.co.uk on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Tumblr, all over social media. Search Star Wars Sessions to find us. You can drop us a voice note or a message to hello there at StarWarsSessions.co.uk if you want to get your voice heard on future shows. And we've got that Patreon. Don't forget, patreon.com forward slash Star Wars Sessions. You get extra shows each month. It's a great place to be. If you want to support us, you can do. If you want to support us for free, though, you can do that just by leaving us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice, which still includes Spotify. Those five stars really helps the show grow. It introduces new listeners, and it's another way to hear from more of you each and every week. So, uh, as Luke would say, please tell all your friends, Star Wars friends, ooh, about us. Tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your mates, tell your cats, tell your Ewok, tell your cousin, tell your big old beefy boy, Krieger. The more the merrier, the kettle's spicier. Yes, and tell Lukey Boy Bly that this is the podcast you're looking for. So until next time, just from me, see ya, and may the force be with you. Always. Always.